I watch Paul Newman rise from and approach me. I am not afraid. This is a moment I've dreamed about. His fingers reach out to me and brush across my lips. Nothing is as sweet as you, he tells me, just before his drops to the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Just wonderful. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Bim. Oh, my gosh. Welcome back. I'm glad to be here. What I enjoy is looking across this recording desk and Mm -hmm. looking into your eyes and knowing that we're about to share some filth. (laughs) Every week we leave here a little bit closer than we were when we first walked in. We just get, you know, nice and cozy in here. And Mm. I like that. Share some secrets and Mm. and personality traits that we didn't know the other (laughs) had. I appreciate that. And then we get to share it with the lovely listeners who also then confirm to us that we are not alone. They are here with us. No Michael Jackson. We appreciate (laughs) it. We appreciate it. This week we have something quite special. We have an ensemble. Yes. A number of, of thirst objects. Yeah, a little group project, I guess. <laughs> and we're all getting A's. A. <laughs> what is that? What are we talking about? Today we are talking about the golden age of Hollywood bays. Mm, 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 mm-hmm. Listen, so it's no surprise to anyone that Nicole and I fancy across the ages, mm-hmm. across genres, mm-hmm. across all sorts of lines that humans arbitrarily draw. Right. And today we are looking at a specific time and a specific place mm-hmm. and specific people. Right. And some of the people that we're covering include... Paul Newman. Yes. The one, my first ever blonde crush. Same. He's Ugh. really like, he's really the OG blonde and blue for truly, me. Truly, truly the OG. Not just for you. I feel like for like a huge, for most human beings, he yeah. is like the, the the one, the only, and everybody yeah. else is like a pale imitation thereof. Right. And then we have mm. Tall, Dark, and Handsome, yes. Cary Grant. Hey, listen. Oh my gosh. Listen. I love him so much. Can I just say also a British... Oh right! Yes, yeah. yes, yes, okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay. We're very proud. Very proud yes. of our of our son. He was called Archie back in the day. Yeah. And then he changed it to Carrie, which I understand why. Yeah. No shade to all the lovely Archies <laughs> out there in the world. Uh, then we also have this mm, this mm, this. You gotta a. say words again, Bill. Okay, you your words. Mr. Gene Kelly, Ooh, mm. the dancer himself. Listen, just hips like. Mm, just hypnotic. Yeah. Hey, hypnotic hips. <laughs> hey, look. It's not my fault I'm a wordsmith. I love Gene Kelly so much and I have such strong feelings for him because he's also one of those people that I discovered when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, once again, I've confirmed that I think I'm straight. So <laughs> God bless Gene Kelly and his dancing. And last of all, who do we have? Gregory Peck. Yes. Those eyebrows, mm, man. My favorite I mean, feature on a man. And that stern voice that you love. Listen, Gregory Peck takes... Pretty much all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And he's just got this the thing that no one ever talks about. Everyone talks about his eyebrows, which are spectacular. Yeah. People don't talk about his lips. I Yeah, you're going to have to talk to me about that Listen, a little later. I, I have pictures, so okay. don't worry about it. We're going to have some visual fucking aids, right? Because <laughs> this is an education. Thirst is something that we'd like to kind of share. Right. And I'm happy to do that today okay. with you and with our listeners. As our listeners probably realized in that list, we did not have anyone of color. Mm-hmm. That is because at that point in Hollywood... You know, 
men of color, black men specifically, were not allowed to be thirst objects in our modern parlance. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's even if they got screen time to begin with. Right. I feel like the golden age that people talk about is referring to tans mm-hmm. for pale people mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, this gilded age. So when we talk about the golden age, we are inevitably almost always talking about white people. Yeah. Which is problematic in its own way. And like Nicole said, we will get into that. Okay, Ben. Yes. Let's get started Mm. with Paul Newman. Oh, listen. Oh, my gosh. I have such complex and not so complex thoughts about Paul Newman. I mean, I didn't even know what I was feeling as a child watching (laughs) these movies, you know, that coming on um, like cable, Mm. old channels and stuff like that. Watching it with my mom and my grandmother. Mm. (sighs) But yeah, yeah, he was so pretty. I think that's the thing. Like, he is a... He's such a stereotypically good-looking man. Yeah. You know, just like not too tall, not too short, not too this, not too that. Just he's the Goldilocks of hotness. He looks like Michelangelo's David. Yes. You know. It's the face, right? Yeah. He has those cheekbones, which yeah. no one ever talks about because of all the other stuff. Right. But he has like these amazing arresting cheekbones and he has like what our lovely friend Daniel Mallory Ortberg called a cruel mouth. <laughs> and it's just like this, you know, really full bottom lip, especially mm-hmm. for a white guy, because mm-hmm. yeah. shout out to you guys. But he 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 has this really uh like you said, like David. His yeah. face is so beautiful. It's so he's got crafted. these little curls and yes. uh, you know, the little blonde curls mm-hmm. that you know, he kept under control. I don't think he ever really we yeah. ever really saw them. They like, never were wild. Yeah. No, no. But man, he was so pretty. He really was. And part of his prettiness, I think, was the fact that he didn't seem to care about how pretty he was. You know what I mean? He He was very careless about, like, the way he walked was very kind of like, "Eh, I guess I'm pretty. He had this kind of lean Mm. that was kind of like, um, do you remember that show, My So-Called Life? Yes. With Jared Leto. Before he was problematic. Yes. And he played this character named Jordan Catalano. Mm. And the um, main character, Angela Chase, Mm. was like, just look at him lean. Mm. And that's how Paul Newman was. Like, he had this little lean, Mm. you know, he would just kind of have his hand on his hip and lean a little bit. And you were just like, yeah. 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 There's this great picture of him with like his Star of David necklace. He's Mm. shirtless and he's leaning in like some khaki pants. Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) Use your words, Nicole. I have none for him. (laughs) He looks so good. But that thing about being very insouciant. um, I remember when I was a kid and I was like in my pretentious stage of being really into like vintage Hollywood, Mm -hmm. which I think every child should go through. But I remember reading lots and lots about old Hollywood and reading about Paul Newman. And one of the things I really loved was him kind of mocking, you know, the the, the noise around the beauty of his eyes mm. and he said you know he could envision his epitaph when he died and it was like here lies Paul Newman who died of failure because his blue eyes turned brown Aww. and I thought oh I love it he's so aware of the fact that these are all just like material trappings because Paul Newman came in the most beautiful package yes just abs and a slight man <laughs> like he wasn't slight. very tall no wasn't thick yeah he I mean just, mm, like I said the Goldilocks yeah just right <laughs> Now, the first film that I remember seeing Paul Newman in was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, yes. which is an adaptation of Tennessee Williams' play. Mm-hmm. Paul Newman played Brick, a retired football player. Yep. Maggie is his wife, as played by Elizabeth Taylor in mm. the film. Amazing. I mean, just incomparable. Brick and Maggie are married, but they're not having, you know, marital relations. Because mm-hmm. in the source material, Brick is closeted. Right. Classic Tennessee Williams. Right. <laughs> and there there are a lot of conflicts in the family and stuff like that. And I'm going to play this clip that comes at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Right. 
all the stuff has been resolved. Everybody's moving forward with their lives and everything. Mm -hmm. Brick is ready to make the marital relations happen, right? (laughs) Sure he is. Now, in this particular clip, his sister-in-law is being real terrible or whatever. she's terrible. Yeah, and so he's trying to, you know, move past her drama. So here we go with that. Maggie! Yes? Come on up here. Hey. Yes, sir. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Now, if you have Paul Newman telling you, come on up here, (laughs) wouldn't you say yes, sir? I feel like... Elizabeth Taylor was doing, uh, she was a mouthpiece for so many people. Yes, sir. I'll be there presently. Man. <laughs> and a little later, he's like, you know, we're we're through with lies and liars in this household. Lock mm. the door. And Maggie reaches behind her to lock the door, and she's trembling. It's like, <laughs> she can't even lock the door because she's so ready for Listen, this moment. That poor woman has been with her closeted husband for so long. Oh and then gosh. he's kind of like, hey, let's try something. And she's like, oh, for the lo- thank God. Yes. I fully, I, I so understood Maggie in that, both because, like, yeah, it's been a while, but also just kind of like, and also, look who I'm married to. This yes. is unfair for me. Oh, Paul Newman, man. What a, he packed a punch. Man. Listen. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's very difficult to talk about Paul Newman. I mean, the talent is undeniable, but it's mm-hmm. very difficult not to talk about just how wonderfully he filled a frame. Yeah. He's just, he had presence. Yes. Which Arresting. is not to romanticize. Yeah. Right. And you don't want to romanticize the past too much because, you know, it had all its attendant problems. Yeah. But Paul Newman really was a movie star. Like mm-hmm. when he walked on stage, you, I mean, onto the set, mm-hmm. I'm sure people just kind of fainted dead away. But then on screen, it really comes alive. It really kind of draws your eye. And he's very, very good at that. I want to talk a little bit about Paris Blues. Mm, one of my favorites. Listen, <laughs> so I'm really not here for giving cookies to anyone who finds girls like me, which is to say black girls attractive, mm-hmm. because obviously you have eyes. I'm clearly very hot. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so in Paris Blues, um, Paul Newman plays a character called Ram, who is this musician, and he and his friend, played by Sidney Poitier, are in Paris to, I guess, you know, meet all the, you know, the, the jazz greats at, at, of the age. And when he's there, he kind of spots this pretty girl, mm-hmm. you know, classic train mm-hmm. shit yeah, yeah. and kind of moves on in there. Now, this woman is played by the, the, the woman he spots, the, the, the beautiful tourist is played by Diane Carroll. Mm-hmm. She's there with her friend who's played by Joanne Woodward, who, as we know, is married or was married to Paul Newman. This is, this is the point at which he's, he hears her and kind of moves to her. Oh, do I need some help? My girlfriend is off chasing another porter because he took her back and left. Yeah, well, they'll do that. You, uh, you want to wait for her here, is that it? Yes, please. Can you explain to him that I want to leave my... Mademoiselle Horton ici. Laissez les bagages et revenez tout à l'heure. Uh, tout à l'heure. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I think I can manage by myself. Pardon, them? Girlfriend is pretty right, easy. So this is when he kind of lays it yeah. out, and okay. you just you, she's a white girl. It might be hard to find. All these white girls look alike. Bitch, bitch. So listen, <laughs> I'm really not here for clapping for white men who find right. non-white women attractive. Absolutely Fuck you, not. To be very like, fucking you honest, you get no cookies for that, Literally and you get no, no cookies <laughs> for that. Okay. <laughs> now, like I said. When I watched that as a teen, I remember thinking to myself, all right, so who's going to build a time machine? Because I need to get back to that exact fake train set 
and have Paul Newman, first of all, speak French in a terrible accent, followed oh. by saying, hey, listen, I'm not asking about your friend, innit? Right. I'm chatting about you, fam. I'm looking at you. Listen. He had all that bass in his voice. Listen. He was like, do you need some help? Yes. As a matter of fact, I do, Mr. Sexy Man Paul Newman. What I also love about that clip, which we will put, you know, we'll put a link to it on our Tumblr, is that, you know, when she kind of, she falls upon him, mm-hmm. the Diane character, she falls, she's called, um, she's called Connie, which mm-hmm. first of all, great name. Mm-hmm. And she, she touches his arm to kind of get his attention and say, oh, and then there's a moment where he looks down at her hand on his arm. Mm-hmm. And watching it as a grown up, I swear to God, my bra actually was lit a flame because yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's how you look at someone. Yeah. With your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Ooh. okay. <sighs> but yeah, I absolutely fucking love Paul Newman. I just oh, that that scene in particular where it's just it just kind of has all of his potency mm-hmm. wrapped up in just like a couple of sentences. But, you know, to move on a little bit, Paul Newman actually put action to those looks that he gave. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> he did. So he was an activist. He was part of the March on Washington in 1963. Wearing and a very natty suit. Oh, he looked so good. He had a little facial hair going on. And then he's in these glasses. Yes. That I mean, he was too cool. He was. I, you know, moving on from, from that, to kind of go back to the, the philanthropy thing, the, the activism thing, mm-hmm. I often think about, I think like, you couldn't be a semi-powerful man in Hollywood at that time and not realize the structural inequalities that were going on. Mm-hmm. And I think for many people, the urge was to put your head down, just do your work, get the fuck out, go mm-hmm. home, whatever. And Paul was like, no, I'm going to take some of this political capital that I do have in mm-hmm. this industry mm-hmm. and I'm going to do something with it. And so he stood and he said things, he did things. And there's, a, there's something that came up this year, actually, and it was from Susan Sarandon who, bless him, you know, she is what she is. Mm. But she was talking about making a film with Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, and him. He, he, basically, she was saying that he took a pay cut when he found out that Sarandon was making less than her male co-stars. And look at the men, you know, I mean, Emma Stone went, came forward and said she got equal pay because her male stars insisted upon it and gave up something of theirs. That happened to me with Paul Newman at mm. one point mm. uh, when I did a film with him ages ago. When they said it was favored nations, but they only meant the two guys, (laughs) he stepped forward and and said, well, I'll give you part of mine. Um, So he was, yeah, he was, he was a gem. So I love the idea of somebody basically putting their money where their mouth was literally understanding that, okay, there is a problem here. Now, of course, he didn't go to the studio and fix it. Right. But he did a very practical fucking thing. He was like, all right, have some of mine because I'm clearly getting more than you and you should be getting the same as us. Mm -hmm. So he cut his salary. And again, no cookies for doing the fucking right thing. Except you can have like a crumb for actually making a stand with your actual actions and rectifying a situation. Now, Paul Newman has, um, you know, he has passed on into the... The great blue beyond. Yes. Yeah. Um, But maybe Mm. some of our younger listeners um, know him from his salad dressings. But the thing about his salad dressings, not only are they great. Sounds so euphemistic. (laughs) The thing about his salad dressing. Uh But 100% of the profits and royalties from the dressings go to charities. Listen. To his foundation, Newman's own foundation, that goes, you know, goes to all these different charity organizations and stuff like that. So he is still giving back beyond the grave. Isn't that beautiful? What a legacy. Just what amazing. A fucking legacy. That How man has you... been, he's been dead since 2008. And basically, money that he has made 
post posthumously yes. is somehow saving lives out there in the world. It's yes. doing good. How many of us can say that even as we're alive right here on Earth? Right. Shout out to you, Paul Newman. Amen. You pop activist you. <laughs> you sexy ghost. Sexy ghost. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to show you how simple it is. You please me and I'll please you. All right, let's move on to one of your faves. Oh, my gosh. I'm a big Hitchcock fan, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Love his movies. Cary Grant was in at least four of them. Mm -hmm. Just beautiful, charming, creepy. (laughs) You know, like... That's the holy trinity right there. Beautiful, charming, and creepy. But that's what you have to be, right, to be in a Hitchcock film, to be the lead in the Hitchcock film. Mm -hmm. You have to have, like, this little bit of... Yes, you're charming. Yes, you're beautiful to look at. But also, do you have an ulterior motive? What's going on beneath the surface? What evil looks? Yes. Mm -hmm. And Cary Grant has that to a T. Yes. He's also just, like I say, he's tall. He was 6'2". Yeah, he's 6'2". Yeah, he was. So one of my favorite scenes Mm. is from North by Northwest, Mm -hmm. which stars Cary Grant and Eva Marie Saint. Yes. In this scene, Cary Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, he's on the run. People are after him. Eva Marie Saints, her character Eve, she knows the deal. She knows that he's running. The banter, mm. the sexual tension. Yeah. It is a master class in writing flirtation. Think how lucky I am to have been seated here. Well, luck had nothing to do with it. Fate? I tipped the steward $5 to seat you here if you should come in. Hold on, hold on. Is that a proposition? I never discuss love on an empty stomach. You've already eaten. But you haven't. <laughs> so she says, but you haven't. And he Listen. looks at her and reaches for his food so that he can, yes, he you can get that full stomach hopping <laughs> and they can get it going. <laughs> the inherent flirtation that was enforced by various codes during this time means that every word seems laden with meaning and possibility and potential and just filth. I mean, you haven't eaten. Bitch, I don't think you're talking about the steak. Can I just say, because your eyes are telling me there's more. There's more. Like, you can eat this dinner, but there's more on the plate. Hey, (laughs) like, what? (laughs) What? I love it. I love it. I love it. Carrie, for yeah. me, like I didn't, I didn't see, I, I didn't watch Hitchcock until late, much later. Mm. But I, I kind of grew up watching a lot of black and white um, mm-hmm. comedies, and for me, Bringing Up Baby uh, mm. from 1938, which you know, <clears throat> I was barely a twinkle in my father's 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 eye. Oh, but boy. I mean, listen, <laughs> 1938 was a long time ago. But he did Bringing Up Baby with Catherine Hepburn, which is a classic for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I saw him in, and I remembered seeing him in, and being completely enamored with him was His Girl Friday. And mm. you spoke about the banter, and he has this rapid fire, just, it's a thing of beauty. It's him and Rosalind Russell. And the banter is so good because everything she throws at him, he throws back. And it's truly something, again, like you said, if you want to be a screenwriter, if this is something you are thinking about, even loosely, you should be watching these movies. And, you know, His Girl Friday is from 1940. That same year, he did The Philadelphia Story again with Catherine mm, Hepburn. Mm-hmm. I can't, it's kind of like, for me, it's like looking at Stevie Wonder's albums from the 70s and kind of going, you put out a classic album every year, like for the beginning of the 70s. And that's Cary Grant's career. It's kind of like, bam, 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 just hit, hit, hit. But the, the bit I want to play is from His Girl Friday. And it's this conversation that he's having with Rosalind Russell. She's returned into his life. They're in the newsroom. And things are just, you know, about to pop off. How long is it? How long is what? You know what? 
How long is it since we've seen each other? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I spent six weeks in Reno, then Bermuda, about four months, I guess. Seems like yesterday to me. Maybe it was yesterday, Hildy. Been seeing me in your dreams? No, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, uh, yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any, any place. Anywhere. Ah, any... <laughs> uh, you're repeating yourself, Wally. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you. Bitch! <laughs> boop, 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 boop. It's kind of like so great. It's I, 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 I remember watching that, and you know, again, you go back and you watch the things that you loved as a child, and you're like, right. oh, this is actually quite racist in parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's like a whole thing, but I love the this idea of, and that was like a very common thing, this idea of independent women who divorced their husbands and mm-hmm. moved on, mm-hmm. and then of course the Leo was too great, and they came right. back. They had to come back. They had to come back. But I love Hildy, and I love Wally, and I together I think they had this really crackling energy that as a child was thrilling for me to watch long before I knew what you know unresolved sexual tension and I was like mm-hmm. wow I just really enjoyed this I don't know why I enjoyed this yes <laughs> and then you get older and you're like oh because they were gonna do it later I see mm-hmm, I see mm-hmm. but I just I really really truly I, I can't get enough of Cary Grant in that mode when he's just kind of being this you know just this this hot vital right. young kind of you know smart sexy thing it's kind of like the dream you want a guy who's gonna like you know intellectually spar with you mm-hmm. and Carrie really kind of gave you that but also very funny because mm-hmm. one of my favorites uh, those black and white movies is Arsenic and Old Lace it's a classic for a reason directed by Frank Capra mm. based on the play by Joseph Kesselring Cary Grant plays Mortimer mm. whose aunts have been killing people <laughs> Listen, we've all got a couple of, you know, dodgy aunts. Let's be very honest. Oh, my gosh. And he is hilarious in this movie. And, you know, you would think that, because you know, this is like 1944, I think. Mm. Yes, 1944. So you wouldn't think that necessarily all all of the humorous bits would translate to watching it in 2018. But Mm -hmm. they still do for the most part. And it's just so good, not only because of the writing, but also because of Cary Grant's delivery. He's just so he's. He cannot believe that his aunts are putting people in the window seats, you know, burying them in the backyard and stuff. It's just it's just great. I it's love wonderful. That movie. I mean, listen, you may have seen there was a Coen Brothers remake recently. I mean, not that recently, but don't watch that. Go watch the original. Watch the 1944 original. Cary Grant will absolutely steal your heart. He's so good. Everybody in that movie is just firing on all cylinders and you should watch it. Absolutely. And another thing about Cary Grant, you know, he kind of comes from a working class, quote unquote, humble background. Mm-hmm. And he became one of the richest men in Hollywood at his time and he made it uh, a point to you know surround himself with uh, as you Brits say, posh society. <laughs> no, um, no Brit has ever said that, but I like you. I like you thinking that we would say that posh society. Um, you know, because he wanted to learn and he wanted to mm. be able to fit in that world, and I think that that's something that um, I admire that mm. he wanted to. I don't know elevate himself in a certain way I, even though it's like material stuff or whatever yeah. but he was still just like yes I came from this place but now I'm here and I'm going to fit in and you're going to deal with me mm-hmm. I mean years before Joanne the Scammer there was Carrie the Scammer like he was a man born Archie Leach which <laughs> let's be very fucking honest you're not going to be a movie star if you're called Archie Leach right something about the sounds that just don't quite work mm-hmm. but I, what I do enjoy is the fact that he was like nah fuck you I might be poor I might be coming from a humble background but I'm going to get to your level and then I'm going to beat you at it yes. and he did it he yes. did it so listen fuck capitalism but yay Cary Grant <laughs> he did it yay <laughs> I'd invite you to my bedroom if I had a bedroom Thank you. 
so we want to move on a little bit to one of your favorites, them. Gene Kelly. Talk to me. All right. So listen, I feel like every week I say, oh, that was the moment I knew I was straight. But trust me, when I saw (laughs) Gene Kelly dance, when I was like, mm, I don't know, nine or ten. I think it was around the time I read Lord of the Rings because mm. I think Aragorn reading reading Aragorn was when I thought, oh no, I'm straight. Mm. But then confirmed to me by watching Gene Kelly dance, mm. and there is something about watching Gene Kelly dance. And part of the reason that it's so compelling is that his body is not the body of a dancer that Hollywood was used to at mm. the time. Mm-hmm. So for many people, the idea of a you know the classic you know dance whatever mm-hmm. of the time was a Fred Astaire. Yeah. Kind of bird-boned, very yeah. delicate looking, yeah. clearly very strong mm-hmm. and very able, but also kind of small, slight, mm-hmm. very genteel. Mm-hmm. And Gene Kelly, in comparison, looks like a motherfucking brute. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he's kind of like wide-shouldered and he's got yeah. these narrow hips and mm-hmm. like sturdy thighs, mm-hmm. you know, big legs. And this motherfucker came in and was just like the most graceful twinkle toes you have ever seen in yeah. your life. And that, I think, that dichotomy of looking like he was going to punch you but then also kind of just kind of going, and now a pirouette. <laughs> I, remember, I remember watching it just entirely wrapped, just staring at the screen like, who the fuck is this dancing angel? And how can I dance with him? And Gene Kelly, for me, I think the first thing I saw him in, I think, uh, yeah, it was Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. which is the obvious starter, <laughs> the starter pack. And of course, there is the classic, the classic bit where he dances literally in the rain. Right, yeah. And watching that as a kid and seeing a grown man kind of frolic in puddles, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Like, I was like, yeah, that's that's what adulthood is going to be like. No, it's not. You use your umbrella and you walk fast home. But Gene made me believe that you would sometimes, just for the joy of it, dance in the rain. Dancing in the rain. <laughs> I'm happy again. It's a very childlike kind of feeling, Mm. you know, freeing in a way, right? Because we have this image of little kids splashing around in puddles and stuff. But he brings it to a different level and makes us remember you can still splash in puddles if you want to and be happy to do it. Just carefree and fine. Yeah, yeah. Carefree and fine. I like an American in Paris. Don't we all love, don't we that's, all? That's my Gene Kelly film. And I have a complicated relationship with musicals, mm. um, but I remember watching them with my sister uh, mm. growing up because she was a theater kid in mm. school. So Theater I would, kids do love a musical. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, so I would watch them with her and I, you know, um, an American in Paris was such a grown film for me to be watching. Yeah, it was. <laughs> It really was. It was like a fucking gigolo. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? There are so many movies you can look back on and kind of be like, mm, I should have been watching that at age seven. <laughs> but it was such a fun film. And I just remember feeling very happy watching it. And so that's the movie that I go back when, you know, there's like a Gene Kelly moment in pop culture mm. because we're remembering his birthday or remembering when he passed or something like that. Mm. I go back to An American in Paris because it's such a, I, I, don't, I don't know, it's such like a, 
it's fun but mm-hmm. also a little naughty. Mm-hmm. There's so much wit again yes, in the in the It's l- so witty. Yes. Oh my gosh. I just love it. And uh, yeah. you know, to go back a little bit to what you were talking about that he didn't didn't have a quote unquote traditional dancer's mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Um he's from Pittsburgh. He was raised in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and he looks like he's from Pittsburgh. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just kind of like this is a body built for movement mm. and he put the grace in with that movement so and he was um i don't know you can really when you look at someone like patrick swayze mm. you see mm-hmm. gene kelly 100 percent, absolutely his forefather yeah. in that vein yeah. of just kind of like gentle brute yeah like a big dude who can do things but also will you know dance with you yes. god more people should just take a leaf out of Gene Kelly's book and just do the thing <laughs> the other thing that I realized as well because you know we've spoken about theater kids I mm-hmm. was one of them I was very dramatic all the time it's very oh, sensitive boy. please don't don't disturb my process <laughs> but I remember watching Hello Dolly um, mm. many many years ago the, for the first time and being absolutely astounded and I, when I saw that it was directed by Gene Kelly. Mm. So he did, he had this other career where he was doing other things. And, mm-hmm. You know, by all accounts, all the interviews that he did later in life, you know, he was just someone who was just incredibly, just, you know, loved his art mm-hmm. and worked, you know, worked himself. Apparently when he did the Singing in the Rain number, he was very, very ill. He had like a temperature of like 102. Oh no. And he powered through. And apparently also, this is less charming, he was also a very hard taskmaster and he was kind of terrible to Debbie Reynolds. Uh, apparently she was quite ill as well and he was like, do it anyway. And I was mm. like, all right, calm down, bitch. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just a movie. Yeah. But, you know, this idea of being a perfectionist who really sought out the best for his work, I am 100% here for. And I think that's another thing that makes him just wildly attractive. This was a man who worked at his craft mm. and cared about the result. And you can see the result 50, 60 years later because somebody took the time to make it as perfect as it could be in the day. I find that wildly hot. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing I can tell you. If I'd have been around sooner, you'd know by now that you're very pretty. And I'm not making fun with you. Speaking of wildly hot, <sighs> Gregory Peck. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Um, Gregory Peck, you mm. know, Atticus Finch. And yeah, another Mock- problematic yeah. liberal. <laughs> to Kill a Mockingbird. You know, I saw To Kill a Mockingbird when I was a kid as mm-hmm. well. And even as a kid, I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Right. But I also understood a striking figure of a man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't know about this, but I know about him. Mm-hmm, he's, mm-hmm. he's quite, you know, I think he, you know, he's someone's dad in that movie mm-hmm. and he looks like someone's dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, you know, we all know how I feel about the word daddy, but I remember... <laughs> Looking at him and kind of going, mm, yes, I bet you provide for your family. <laughs> and the thing is, like when you look at um, promotional pictures from that time where mm. he is posed in a certain way, not even for To Kill a Mockingbird, but just in general um, pictures that he posed for in magazines and whatever, he is beautiful. Mm. Just absolutely stunning. We'll have to find some pictures and maybe put them on our Tumblr or something. Yes, but yes, yes, yes. Just angles for days. Just angles is exactly the word, Nicole. Oh, he just oh. he he was kind of like he, it looked like he was put together by a team of engineers who were mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, so this is the sine and the cosine and the tangent <laughs> and the this because they put his face together and it's just kind of like, wow, it works. It looks planned. You mm-hmm. look like you look like a like a city that has been planned on a grid. Mm-hmm. He's just really really fucking hot. And he would lose himself in his character, so you would lose those angles a little bit because mm-hmm. he was playing whoever, whatever, right, and that right. didn't call to be beautiful and um, attractive or whatever. Yes. But he was 
fascinating to look at. Yes, he was. I remember watching uh, Roman Holiday when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And again, this idea of we all want to be like, you know, princesses anyway, I suppose, to an extent. And I remember looking at Audrey Hepburn and kind of going, yeah, I can see the attraction. But don't you have to work? Work? Now. Today is going to be a holiday. But you don't want to do a lot of silly things. Don't I? First wish, one sidewalk cafe coming right up. That movie, again, was one of those things that kind of stuck in my head where I was like, oh, this is a this is what romance should feel like he yeah. should be on a moped in Rome, <laughs> you know. Like this is this is what it should be. But he 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 had just so much. He, he like you said he he gave so much even when he was doing quite you know subtle slash gentle work. Yeah, and you'd look at him and you'd be like, oh, that's a man of substance who's doing things. Yes, mm. he had heft. He had heft, and he was tall. I, <sighs> yeah, it was. Uh, he's like he was like six three. Oh, R.I.P. Man. And it's Listen. so interesting because the golden age of Hollywood. Mm. These people were tall. These men, the leading men were tall. Mm. Like James Stewart was, I think, 6'3". Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see this evolution where we get to these men today mm. who aren't always quite as tall. Right. And nothing's wrong with that. Nothing's wrong with that. I actually like, I think it's more of a, I think it's more democratic now where mm. you can have people of average height. You mm-hmm. know, not everyone has to be 6'3". Right. I like the idea of us kind of democratizing to an extent anyway because, mm-hmm. you know, most of these men still are white. Yeah. But this idea of democratizing in some way where we have skinny dudes and we have like short dudes mm-hmm. and these people also get to be sex symbols in as much as we still have that I mean you could argue about you know the, the star system of Hollywood haven't gone away mm-hmm. which I think is again a good thing generally speaking mm-hmm. but I think you know I prefer I prefer the 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 democracy of now and the movie stars of today mm-hmm. however I can look to the past and kind of be like do you know what that was nice too actually that's a really solid way for us to kind of move into the next part of this discussion which is essentially the unbearable whiteness of golden age hollywood now (laughs) (laughs) where to begin We've talked about Paul Newman Mm -hmm. advocating during the civil rights movement. And beyond. And beyond. I can't speak to what these other men may have done. But back in the day, Mm. it was very difficult to find black men, Mm -hmm. Latino men, Mm. Asian men. Mm. Definitely hard to find Native American men. Listen. And Uh, that's just on the issue of race. Yes. There's all this other stuff. Right. On screen, as portrayed by the people who are actually identified, you know, as black, Asian, because getting into white men playing Asian characters. All right. Ooh. So I'm glad you brought that up because Yul Brenner comes to mind. Yeah. And he played the King of Siam. Mm-hmm. Now, Yul Brenner was a white man from Russia. Okay? Yeah. Let's just call that by its name. He also played Ramesses in uh, The Ten Commandments. Like, this motherfucker had a whole line in playing not quite white. Yeah. <laughs> you can argue with me regarding any number of things, but Yul Brenner was hot. And we can also acknowledge in that same in that same universe, he was doing a lot of racist shit by playing yes. these characters. Yes. So let's, you know, t- t- to think about Hollywood at this time is to think about a very specific kind of beauty, a certain kind of uh, look. Mm-hmm. And that look was Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about interrogating who we fancy and why we fancy, it, it, it's important for us to understand that these things do not happen in a vacuum. We were given so little in terms of variety and choice that I think a lot of us imprinted a very specific idea of what is attractive, what is sexy. And these things are not by accident. 
it was exactly. formed that way exactly. and it's very important that when we discuss all our first objects as we have done for all of season one and now in season two that we are always thinking about mm, who's missing here yes. and that's a very real thing and it's something that I know that I talk about with Nicole a lot kind of like you know, there's that old question, is he whore or is he white? And a lot of the time the answer is, Ooh. fam, he's just white, you know. That's yes. it. That's really all it is. Yes. Move on. And that is the thing that I think many people really kind of, you know, talk about, grapple with. We get your emails. We get your, you know, people are thinking about a lot of these things. And I just, I want us all to think about it even more. I think however much we're thinking about it, we're not thinking about it enough. Exactly. Now, there were black men who were on screen at that time mm-hmm. um, in the very early days of Hollywood. There was Paul Robeson. Mm who's beautiful. I think he was very handsome. Yes, great, great face. Yeah. Um, then you also have, of course, Sidney Poitier. And there's some. There's a significant amount of time between mm. these men, these mm-hmm. leading men. But they always had to be very well put together when they were on screen. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. If they weren't playing a working class person, mm-hmm. right, you know, a porter or something like yeah. that. The husband of a maid. Right. <laughs> um, then they were somebody, like a teacher, mm-hmm. right? Uh, someone who was buttoned up. Very professional. Yes. You know, a doctor, a lecturer. Yes. Yeah. And not allowed to have any kind of romantic love interest. Mm-hmm. Unless it was another black woman who mm-hmm. was very fair-skinned. Yes, if she was even given a name or like any you know, real screen time. Right. Then there's Harry Belafonte, yes. Now, Carmen Jones is an amazing Listen, film. It's so hot. Oh, my gosh. The promotional stills for that movie. <sighs> Insane. Every, every single photo from that looks like just like they were filming it in the middle of like just tiny fires where everyone was just <sighs> kind of combusting from the hotness. Everyone in there is just like smoking hot. Sadly, I don't find Harry Belafonte handsome outside of that movie, which is horrible. <laughs> but I remember when we were talking about putting this episode together, we were like, Harry Belafonte? Eh, I guess. So that was another reason. So listen, our production meetings are very, very um, vocal things where we talk about who we're doing, why, mm, <laughs> who we're doing, why we're doing them, etc. And this one in particular came up a lot where we were kind of like, all right, how do we do this? And Nicholas pointed it out. Sidney Poitier was never, ever presented to me growing up in any of the movies I saw as a hot prospect. Mm -hmm. He was somebody's father Mm -hmm. or somebody's husband Mm -hmm. or, you know, and that's the other thing as well. The scenarios in which black and other non-white actors appeared in was one of strife. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult for me to fancy you if you're kind of chatting about, you know, the racism of the day. It's hard enough in big 2018. Back then when the shit was overt and just oppressive in a way that you could not escape. It's very difficult for me to look at his Sydney party and kind of be like, that man is going through it. Mm, now I want to climb right. into his lap. Yes, right. <laughs> so these are very difficult things. And like I said, we're talking like, you know, we've been talking very much about, along the lines of black yeah. actors. But then consider how much worse it was for Asian actors right. or, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, going back to talking about John Cho, for example, mm-hmm. and why it's so important that he is this leading man in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We spoke about it back in season one and we're carrying on with it. The reason why it's so difficult for people to conceive of John Cho as a romantic lead, you know, a leading man in Hollywood is because we've been given so few examples of Asian men in that particular light. Mm -hmm. So these things are all interconnected. They are all interwoven. And yeah, like we said, question, interrogate, talk to yourself. Also, you have to look at stereotypes change depending on what you're trying to prove with your stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. to talk about Asian men in Hollywood Either they are the martial arts expert or they are the de-sexed friend who is, you know, kind of feminine. So is is he going to kick your ass or is he a girl? Like, what are you trying to say? Right. You know, again, this kind of goes back to these old Hollywood movies where 
You've got uh, Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. playing an Asian character, a caricature, Jesus. just embarrassment. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. That's exactly the word. You look back on it and you're like, Jesus, who let this fly? Who? I mean, the answer is right. the world, but still. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And so, you know, it's hard, like you said, to look at a person who's playing a bus driver who is so underpaid mm-hmm. and harried and angry and yeah that you know he's just in a suit and tie even to drive a bus yes. you know um God. and then he comes home and his wife you know they're trying to like figure out bills and stuff <laughs> how are you supposed to find that attractive right, right. it's aspiration right, <laughs> right. That's, that's that's what a lot of fancying kind of comes down to and i do think about the ways in which like you said useful stereotypes at the time you know the the, the idea of Sidney party as a respectable man mm-hmm. you know the guy who there was lots of talk around his casting and guess who's coming to dinner mm-hmm. and they had to make him a widower as opposed to a divorcee because he couldn't even be divorced because that would besmirch his good black name mm. and I keep thinking about the ways in which we kind of swallow all of these things and we don't know we're even swallowing them half the time mm-hmm. you know we just have what is there and I think that's basically the the final lesson uh, regarding today's episode on Golden <laughs> Bays it's kind of like here are four people but also what a fucked up system those four people came out of absolutely mm. So, yes. <laughs> this week we are going to be doing uh, travels about people who are dead, R.I.P. Yes. <laughs> May they be at peace. May they be at peace. But I feel like we're honoring their memories and their legacies <laughs> by writing these fanfics. Don't laugh. I'm being very serious. Oh, my gosh. I hope the states don't come after us. <laughs> no. Uh, we should point out that these are fictionalized yes, uh, versions absolutely. of these wonderful dead people. Right. All right. So, <laughs> Nicole, I'm very ready to hear what you've come up with. Who have you written your travel about? Mr. Paul Newman. Shocking. I did not see that coming. <laughs> A part of me, I have to say, uh-huh. is very worried that we have written exactly the same scenario for Paul Newman. Right, because we don't share our drabbles we, with each other. Right. We just read them and get natural reactions right off the bat. Right, right. So... Take it away, Nicole. Let's see what you've come up with. If I listened closely, I could just make out the sounds of a brass band busking in the French Quarter. Oh, my God. I leaned out of the window of my second-story bedroom, hoping to hear the music better and wondering where Paul was. I laughed at myself. I'm too old to play Juliet. Before a man like Paul, I'd be lovesick on a balcony any day. Looking for me? His voice broke through my foolish pining, and I turned to see him leaning against the bedroom door, a few days stubble showcasing a naughty smirk. Yes. He knows I love feeling the roughness of his beard against my hands, neck, other places. (laughs) He was already unbuttoning his shirt, so I rushed to help him, my outstretched hands betraying my relief and anticipation. I asked if anyone saw him. He said, Only you can see me, sweetheart, before he clicked the light switch, leaving us to fumble through darkened familiarity, the distant street musicians losing their hold on my attention. Is it? (laughs) Is it? (sighs) Okay. Wait, your hands are reaching? You you rush to help him take off his shirt? He has hands, Nicole. He can take his own shirt off, all right? He might need some help. It could have been a long journey across town. Sure. I don't know. And everyone knows when you've had a long journey across town, it's your hands that get tired. Yes, exactly. Yeah, sure. Exactly. 
<laughs> you are such a waste. I hate you. I hate you so oh much. Oh my gosh. But can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Again, this is just kind of that nod to, you know, the times mm-hmm. that Paul Newman lived through. Did anyone see you? Yes. Right. I just had to do a quick little, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of this swirl is a little taboo. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know what? I believe your middle name is actually ridiculous. <laughs> Nicole Ridiculous Perkins. I'm proud to know you. Well, um, but Bim, you uh-huh. have a drabble. I do have a drabble. And who is your drabble about? It's about fucking Paul Newman, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to see uh, something that comes up in my drabble that's already come up in yours. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> we are too synced. It's actually scary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mine's also about Paul Newman. Okay. And I unlike you, decided mm-hmm. not to even uh, mention the fact that we would have been together in difficult times uh, racially. Uh-huh. Because we're going full fantasy here. Sure, absolutely. Um, are you ready? Yep. Paul's beard is the fullest I've ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he calls it his homemade disguise. But I tell him all it does is make the distinctive blue of his eyes stand out even more. Bitch! We've been at the Malibu Beach House for a month now, and the sun has lightened his hair and deepened his tan. Right now, his famous assets, the only (laughs) blue eyes I will ever care about, are hidden from view. His face is less stern when he is at rest, less obviously beautiful than the big screen makes it. Asleep, Paul Newman, the movie star, becomes something else. The creases in his forehead are less pronounced, his mouth even more generous. I trace my finger across his bottom lip now. Oh. And he squirms a little as a slight smile crosses his face. I replace my finger with my lips. Oh. And after a couple of seconds, he stirs. He squints as he comes to, the sun glinting off the gold of his beard. You got the sun in your eyes, I say softly. No, he returns gruffly. That's all you. So that was my drabble. I like your reaction. It felt honest. Ooh, yes. It felt phlegmy, which I'm always grateful. Uh, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so head on over to Twitter to vote. <laughs> there will be a poll on our Twitter, which is yes. our first aid kit. Yes. And we like to give you guys a day to, you know, listen to the episode, absorb it, mm-hmm. talk about it with your friends if you want to. And then we put up the poll mm-hmm. the next day. So, you you know, you've been thinking about it and it's been marinating in your mind, That's right? exactly what it's been doing, marinating. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, we, uh, we say this every week, but we mean it every week. There are no losers here. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, we also want to hear your fanfic. So if you have something about Paul Newman or Gregory Peck or Gene Kelly, mate. Uh, yeah, Cary Grant. Let us know. Send it in. It's basically thirstaidkid at buzzfeed.com. And we will read it and we will laugh at it and we will squirm at it. <laughs> Just send us your fanfic. Nicole, man. Yeah. That felt like a lot this week. It did. I don't mean to toot our own horns, but we fucking killed the Drabbles we this did. week. All right, cool. Toot, toot. toot motherfucker. Motherfucking toot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First Day Kit is produced by us, Bim Adewunmi and Nicole Perkins, Julia Frelan and TK Dutez. 
Our music is by Tanya Morgan. You can follow us on Twitter at ThursdayKit. We're also on Tumblr at ThursdayKitPodcast.tumblr.com. Sometimes we even answer questions on there. We're at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, Whiskey with an E, Woman, and Bimadu, B-I-M-A-D-E-W. Now, are you looking to refresh your thirst palate? Well, let us recommend you a sorbet. Leave us a brief message for Thirst Sommelier on 765-884-4778. That's 7658-THIRST. For our international listeners, you can leave us a tiny brief voice memo and send that to thirstaidkit at buzzfeed.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. Plus, we love reading what you have to say. Feel free to live tweet your listen using the hashtag TACPOD. That's T-A-K-P-O-D. And remember, you can reach us via email at ThursdayKit at BuzzFeed.com. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, you know what you have to do. Just stay thirsty, friends. <laughs> you good? <laughs> yes. You good, okay. cuz? Oh, shit. Let me drink my water. My lemonade. (laughs) Lord.